Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Is that spice all over your lips? Because I'm not trying to have curry lingus later. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Hilary Busis. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Chris Murphy. And we're here to discuss the fifth episode of season two of the Max series, and just like that, Trick or Treat. We can't be the only house on the block with no Halloween spirit. Isn't this house already scary enough? And later, costume designers Molly Rogers and Danny Santiago will be joining us to talk about the difficult task of dressing the cast. But first, the recap. Episode 5, Trick or Treat. It's Halloween, and of course, we'll need to see all the women in their respective glory. I'm Helen Gurley Brown, writer and founder of Cosmopolitan Magazine, circa 1970. Oh. Seema, Carrie, and Naya go cruising at a hotel bar for men, and Naya finally gets laid. I get it now. These one-night stands are amazing. Afternoon, Professor Wallace. Good afternoon, ladies. Seema's gentleman sex guest employs a Victorian steampunk contraption. Let's just say I'm still surprised. Well, he had a penis pump. Discovering this news, Carrie has a meet-cute in a bike lane. Oh my God, I have, I have to go. I think I may have killed a man. The romance with George the cyclist is short-lived as he's already in a relationship with his business partner. We're more Lennon and McCartney. Well... That kind of makes me Yoko, so I'm going to go. Charlotte and Harry are at odds over rock getting discovered by a model scout for Ralph Lauren. I'm smelling a a Taken-type kidnapping vibe here. And I just, I don't have the muscle mass to rescue rock from a compound in Belize. And it's confirmed. Che's pilot is bad. And they take it out on a very tired Miranda. I'll be your cheerleader. Oh, Miranda, stop. Let's go. Stop. Let's go. Miranda, stop. 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 I don't need a cheerleader. This isn't a game. This is my life. This is my career. Uh, I feel like this is the most meta the show has gotten thus far, and by which I mean they make Sara Ramirez slash Che Diaz confront the critiques of Che Diaz. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to admit, I, I did feel a pang of guilt. Oh, when there's <laughs> that close-up on Sara Ramirez's, like, destroyed face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> First expectant and excited and then and ruined. Then yeah. as, ruined. As the non-binary uh, queer, viewer from yeah. Brooklyn, yeah, the genderqueer person Gender from Brooklyn, is just tearing the character apart. Them, eviscerates them. And I was like, okay, I sort of see how... The call is coming from inside the house. Words can hurt, but I don't think that the genderqueer person who ripped Che Diaz apart, I don't think they said anything wrong about within the context of the show. And I do think 
as we've been saying this whole Within season. Within the context of And Just Like That or the context of Che Pasa? I was going to say Che Pasa and then expand it to And Just Like That. All right, sorry to cut you off. <laughs> I'm listening, I'm learning. No, I'm the one who's listening and learning. I think, as we've been saying, like clearly Michael Patrick King and the writers have been paying attention to the feedback this season. And I do think it was almost too meta and too on the nose um, in terms of that critique of Che and whatnot. But a lot of the criticism of Che has been coming from the queer community, Mm -hmm. I would say, the bulk of it. And so I do think that was... And it did feel like a lot of deflection in season one with people involved in it just like that being like, oh, it's just like our audience just isn't ready for this. They can't handle this person. Exactly. Uh, Which a lot of maybe kind of putting their hands over their ears and going la 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 when actual people in the community were saying that, you know, Jay is corny. Jay is, uh, Jay is not representative. Yeah. Well, it's sort of the idle defense where it's like, oh, guess it was a little too, you know, out there for you. And it's like, no, no, no. That, or like that's Ricky not- Gervais or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, yeah. I'm so outrageous. Yeah. You can't handle <laughs> this. Oh, are you offended? Yeah, it's very bad. It's hard to argue with that point because they can just circle around forever. But it was interesting that the show listened and learned and was like, well, we have to maybe put voice to these critiques of this character. Although I think they had kind of given themselves an out in earlier episodes this season, particularly one where we see Che filming their pilot, and there's another annoying person and all of these network demands, and it's maybe the sh- and just like that, saying, no, we get it, but we can't, We're our hands are kind of tied. I don't know if I believe that with like a Mac streaming show that's a continuation of one of the most successful television shows in history. Like, Mm -hmm. I think they probably had more autonomy than a network pilot would. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they've really, like, exonerated themselves, but they've at least confronted it, much to, like, Shay's horror and... Much to the show's credit. Yeah, but to, you know, to their credit, for sure. I just wonder, like, one person speaking at one focus group destroys the whole show. Is that what we're Led That's to believe. what it seemed like. Yeah. It seemed like the show is not going to go forward because maybe Ray's it like, just goes forward as a Danza Pasa. Because <laughs> <laughs> right, right. everybody love loves Tony. Right, right. <laughs> the Danza Lions can't forget. And I will say to the show's credit, too, and I think Sarah Ramirez's credit, they're acting, they really sold that moment of sort of destruction and coming to the realization that they're not this beloved comedian, you know, beyond their small community. I have been saying this, and I do think the episode sort of pushes this a little bit further in that they've rounded out Che by making them, I've used the word villain before, I'm not going to use that anymore given what just happened on this episode, but giving them more contours that are pricklier to their to their character. I mean... And vulnerable. And vulnerable in terms yeah. of staying up late and being like a kind of an asshole when Miranda has to sleep and having the friends over and, and you know, smoking all the time and sort of, and not being able to sort of meet Miranda halfway, sort of ever and being a little bit narcissistic, which I came to the realization, or now I think that instead of it being, which it never was, an indictment of the non-binary or genderqueer community, it's more of an indictment of comedians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like more yeah. Like, wow. They're night they're, owls. They're, they're slobs. They're, they're slobs. They're, like, they're all about themselves. They party. They don't, have, you know, they are the exact opposite of Miranda Hobbs. And maybe that's why this is feels yeah. a little, like, at odds, or that relationship felt like, what? Like, you know, exciting for Miranda, because this is a world she'd never explored, but also, like, this is an odd pairing. And we really see that come to a head here. And I'm like, I don't know if they're going to make it. Well, eventually practicality intervenes. I mean, you know, a long-lasting relationship is one that survives the first blushes of attraction and swoon and all that, where everyone is kind of presenting a version of themselves. <laughs> and then a couple months in, it's like, well, you're unfortunately, you're going to have to see me sitting in my underwear on the couch and being messy and being petulant and, you know, being moody. Unfortunately, you know. you're going to have to sleep over at my apartment in Hudson Yards. <laughs> well, <laughs> this, I'm sorry, this, you guys uh, talked about this last this, week. This episode is a cautionary tale for not signing a lease in Hudson Yards. <laughs> Absolutely. That commute to go from Hudson Yards to Brooklyn to Columbia, I literally gasped. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's she crazy. will get yeah. a free ride after her 12th yeah. swipe. But... In three days. <laughs> For people listening who aren't familiar with New York City geography, Hudson Yards is a good four avenue blocks from the nearest subway. And like, that's pretty, that's Those a long, are long block. Those long blocks. 15, yeah. 10, 15 minute walk. That's going to take if you're, you some time. If you're a fast New York walker, yes. But yeah, I dare to say 
I felt kind of bad for Che mm-hmm. in this episode. Well, especially when they're kind of breaking down and getting emotional. Like, I don't know if this is just me, but I got a little little pitter-patter of, like, Grey's Anatomy era Sarah Ramirez mm. when they're sort of falling apart and, you know, like, very passionately, like, defending their their work in their life. Yeah. It felt Shonda-esque, and that also was kind of like a wash of comfort over my soul. It absolutely did. And I will say, not to criticize Miranda, although her humiliation count this episode was at two and a half for me. <laughs> Which she also references with the clown nose. She does. She yes. does with the clown nose. And I was yeah. like, oh, God, we got to stand up, Miranda. <laughs> um, I Look, t- self-awareness <laughs> is the first step. <laughs> We've got to break through that. we got to get to the next step, though. I did feel Miranda's reaction, which she's such a great mother. She sort of approached Che's disappointment. She approached it from such a mom perspective that I could totally see being off-put and Che being like, I need space. This is not the kind of support that I need. I'm not a child. I'm not like, I know I sleep in late, but don't treat me like I'm Brady. Don't talk to me like I'm Brady. That sort of was the vibe. Well, that is also definitely the death knell of a relationship founded on like sex. Yeah. I right. believe Miranda was the one who once said, no one wants to fuck me and mommy. Mm-hmm. Th- yes, that's exactly right. Um, She's being classic quote. Mommy, but- I like that that was balanced by this sort of sweet scene with Brady where we find out Miranda has been rushing home to make breakfast, to try to c- create some normalcy in the beautiful Brooklyn townhouse that she lives in. You know, pancakes and carving pumpkins and let's decorate a stoop. stoop. And, I, and I like that that little scene didn't end with Brady being like, no, go to hell, mom. It just sort of, he made a kind of a, a meanish but loving joke and she went all oh, with a pumpkin carving knife and you know yeah. and then the scene ended and it was like I think he did help her decorate the stoop yeah, I know that felt it, like a cute moment a yeah. cute and f- sort of like functional family moment yeah and like a reminder that broken as it may be in certain ways like Miranda has built a life for herself mm-hmm. that she couldn't just fully disappear from because of Che and actually maybe now wants to be back in that life as represented metaphorically, and I think there's a lot of good classic Sex and the City metaphor in this episode, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with sleep. Yeah. You know? Well, you do have to wonder yeah. also if Miranda is thinking about the episode from season two of Sex and the City where she faces this exact same dilemma with Steve's late nights and her early mornings. <laughs> oh, that's about <laughs> sex, though, right? Yeah. I think it's also just about yeah. their schedules, though, right. because yeah. he's working, yeah, he's right. working at that's the bar right. and she's heading out to work at the crack of dawn. History repeats itself. I'm sort of surprised. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. Like, they can't only be winking at us or their eyes would be closed the entire episode. But um, (laughs) it is a little funny that they really went back to that exact storyline from season two. Another metatextual moment. Yeah, Cynthia Nixon's good at being tired. I mean, she she plays it well. (laughs) Um, What do we think about the somewhat temporary solution in that Miranda is going to shack up with Naya in some capacity? I mean, if it gives Naya a storyline, then that seems like a great idea. If it gives her anything to do. So <laughs> she got yeah. laid. She did, but we didn't even, and I wrote this as a critique. It's like, I'm so happy we got to see Seema's quite hilarious sex storyline. And I, I know it's hard to juggle all seven of these main characters, but even just like a glimpse of Naya in the throats, I was like, oh, that would have been fun. Like mm-hmm. just to spend a little bit more time. Although it was sort of nice to have all of these different women going on their own walk of shames. Miranda mm-hmm. from Hudson Yards down to Brooklyn, Naya walking confidently out of the Mondrian, Seema walking out, and then even mm-hmm. Carrie, in a way, at the very end of the episode. Yeah. It sort of felt like a classic Sex in the City structure in terms of everyone's dealing, you know, going on their own walk of shame or, or pride, pride, even, mm-hmm. even though that was last month, but still. Yeah, I think this episode is continuing with the momentum that began, I think, two episodes ago. Like, this felt really tightly mm-hmm. constructed and funny in parts and um, if there's not cohesive. exactly the thematic coherence no. that we mm-hmm. want like i mean i guess there is an overarching thematic yeah. coherence but the yeah, episodically i don't know i guess it's you know every every guy you date has something but that isn't really <laughs> as specific as the show once was yeah, well i thought it was interesting that like Seema and carrie both have one episode romantic entanglements with a man who has an issue mm-hmm. yeah you know exactly he's married to work he has a penis pump and <laughs> is not sensitive to her needs like that is so old school yeah mm-hmm. and i thought handled well i agree that i wish that Seema getting the little side plot i wanted to see it naya at least in the hotel room with this handsome guy yeah, yeah. or know, you know anything about him you know or have any <laughs> sort of you know other than he's incredibly handsome because she looked so hot as catwoman at charlotte's 
fundraising party. What mm-hmm. was that fundraising for? Did I miss the that? The school? Maybe. I assumed it oh, was Oh, because that school needs, desperately needs the money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is the thing about private schools. Yeah, I know. I will say, Re, the, the party, though, I was like, wow, we're really out of COVID. There were a lot of people mm-hmm. <laughs> dancing around. Yeah. It feels, it, feels uh, nice. it feels livelier, for yes. sure. The city feels more like New York. I think it was a nice touch. Um, I laughed a lot at Charlotte and Harry's costumes. I absolutely believe that during COVID, the two of them would have gotten a variant of the Americans. It would be completely baffled by the fact that nobody else that they know has ever watched this show. That was a really nice touch. And I will say, at first I was like, Kristen, that doesn't look that much like Carrie Russell. In, but then they showed the clip. But then they showed the clip and I was like, okay, I stand corrected. She did yeah. sort of do a good job. That side, the hair to one side. It's doing a lot of work. That does a lot of work. I thought this episode in general had a lot of pop culture sensibility mm-hmm. in a way that sometimes, even on the original show, these people could kind of seem to live in a weird vacuum where they were never referencing or they would like, you know, Miranda got obsessed with that French or the British sexy show or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of, you know, made up, I think, for the show. But like they're referencing the Americans. Miranda goes on a rant about the state of television. Carrie makes a joke about Marvel movies. Like it was interestingly... It and felt, uh, yeah. Chris Jackson is dressing up like George Washington. Yes, which, which Hamilton doesn't exist in this universe. Right. Hamilton exists. I, it just starred a different guy. It started yeah. a different guy. But yeah. I was like, that's... But no, that was a, a fun little meta touch. That was enough from Lisa Todd and Herbert for this episode. They got a big episode last time. So it's like, Wait, oh. we, Do we need to explain that reference? If you're listening to this podcast, I feel like you understand that yes, reference. That but... Chris Jackson played George Washington in Hamilton, Tony nominated for that role. And then he was, in a sexy way, George Washington in this episode. Yes, yeah. as Herbert. And yeah. I agreed with Lisa Todd Wexley when she was like, you're oddly hot right now. And I was like, yeah, it's working. It, it, it does work. I wanted him to sing one last time. I thought that would have been really great. Hercules Mulligan. <laughs> yeah. But I did like the pop culture stuff in the way that like, it, in a small way, it was like, right, these people have had lives in the many years that we've been away from them. And like, they've absorbed culture the way that we have. First season made mistakes. Miranda, of the four of them, would 100% be the podcast listener. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that line still bothers me. But like, the Americans thing for those two characters totally works. And it leads to the perhaps over the top, but I thought charmingly silly scene where Harry in, tries to infiltrate. I loved that. I, I love he was full on uh, Steve Buscemi, 30 Rock. How do you do fellow kids? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Sneaking around. Except asking way creepier questions. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I loved that Charlotte, when she spotted him, kind of inched her way over and just not, didn't get mad. She was like, better get out of here right now before Rock sees you. Another one right here? Baby. There's just something about this whole situation that does not sit right with me. Could it be that I am the fun parent and you are the heavy for a change? Mm. Excellent. Maybe. That was very believable. Yeah. Because Charlotte was loving the dynamic of, wait a second, I'm the one allowing Rock to do the thing that they want to do. And Harry is the like fun dad is being the jerk. Like, that's a very common, I'm sure you are aware of this, Hillary, in your own life, but like that sort of parent where one yes, person has to I'm be... obviously fun, Richard. Well, no, no, obviously. And <laughs> Clearly. Yes. But, you know, like I, I think that exploring the way that Charlotte is aware of the fact that she can be the taskmaster at the house and Harry gets to be the kind of silly bagel schmear on the couch guy, you know, whatever, tea bags that was in the original show, right? Like mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And to have that flipped, but also... It was about Charlotte's own vanity at the same time. So she's still recognizably her. (laughs) I love that she was holding on to the Ralph Lauren clothes that she wore as a teen model for the past 40 years. Well, we know from this season she loves to hold on to clothes. She loves to hold on to clothes. Oh, yeah, call back. (laughs) Is Charlotte from Connecticut? That's been established, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, I think she's her brother's name is Wesley, so I think yes. Yeah. (laughs) I think think it's Miranda's from Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. We don't really know where Carrie's from. (laughs) Samantha's from Mars or Venus (laughs) or whatever. Um, I love the image of a young Charlotte in her Ralph Lauren polo at the mall modeling. It just is like, well, that's where it began. I was very into that. I think Charlotte's had a couple of really strong... Strong and fun episodes. And I just, oh, I want Miranda to have some fun. I keep coming back to Miranda. Well, we can talk about Carrie. Carrie gets some fun this episode. Yeah. Carrie does. We haven't talked about her yet. Uh, dating uh, Charles from Younger, who actually also was on Sex and the City. I'm sorry to be the the historian or like the no, continuity police. The actor who plays her love interest on this episode, his name is Peter Herman. He was also the star of Younger, created mm-hmm. by Darren Starr, who also created Sex and the City. There's, you know, time is a flat circle. Mm. But he played a character on Sex and the City in the final season. Um, he is the handsome son of somebody at Charlotte's synagogue. 
who oh. they try to set her up with. And he seems he's, you know, perfect on paper. But then she realizes she's still in love with Harry. And then Harry comes back and it's very romantic. You grew up in Connecticut. I went to school there. Really? Where'd you go? Yale. Oh. Something wrong with Yale? No, no, it's just... Yale. It's such a brief appearance that when I first saw him, I was like, oh, he's going to be playing that guy. It's just that, like, now Carrie's going <laughs> to hook up with him, yeah, which yeah. I think would have been pretty easy to do. We didn't know anything about him. No, no. Not at all. He fits in the long lineage of one episode guest guys hmm. who are, like, middle-aged handsome, but not, like, so movie star devastating that it gets completely unrealistic that Carrie would quite literally bump into him on the street, you know, like mm-hmm. he just and I love that it was one episode. Yeah. It was a story of an attraction and then a complication. And then it helped Carrie learn something about there are herself. not enough contained yeah. storylines. Yeah. And I thought that, you know, that this season thus far, it is making subtle or not so subtle nods to Carrie's newfound wealth that mm-hmm. she is no longer the struggling writer. She brought three soups to this stranger. Yeah, which yeah. probably from an expensive place. I couldn't tell. Oh yeah, if they were yeah. from Zabar's or whatever, yeah, like yeah. that's like $50. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. And her concern based on very little evidence about like what his situation was and then to have that inverted, like those are fun writing dynamics. You know, it would have been one thing to be like, Carrie meets a guy who's broke and that's mm-hmm. the complication. But this was like, no, 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 it's a little, it's different. He's he's lacking in some other more in Way. Well, will any of these characters ever encounter somebody who is actually broke? By their standards, that would mean like renting an apartment. Yeah. <laughs> renting on the Upper West Side. Mm, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> doesn't feel like that's in their circle. But I do. I really also really enjoyed sort of like the complete story that we got. And it does feel like when like the initial bike accident happened, like Carrie's like, oh yeah, I would never stay to the bike line. She absolutely would. <laughs> She's like, she totally would not be paying attention. Like, that also rang true. Her her very panicked, like I'm a New Yorker. I like I know how to act here. Like, <laughs> but then like in the, at the uh, city MD or whatever it's supposed to be, the urgent yeah. care. She's like, yeah, I just haven't gotten used to the bike lanes. They weren't here when I moved here. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, yeah, no, like I, I maybe I am a little bit heedless about that stuff. But yeah. Yeah. filling out paperwork at an urgent care is a very good way to get some exposition. Very rom commy. Uh, 101768. Oh, happy belated birthday. <laughs> um, address? Uh, 245 East 29th. Really? Oh my God. That's so funny. I'm 245 East 73rd Street. We're related. <laughs> I did laugh out loud at Carrie's whole thing about like, oh, one time she saw an Olsen twin going into an urgent care. (laughs) Absolutely. And I was like, oh, that is such like a writer's room thing where like somebody in the writer's room told a story about how they saw an Olsen. (laughs) And what on earth would she be going to that for? And they talked about that for three hours and they were like, okay, we have to put this in the show. Speaking of Olsen twins and Hudson Yards, I have heard that Mary-Kate Olsen hangs out at Hudson Yards all the time. Because there are these really fancy restaurants over there that like... So she's not just yeah. wandering the hallways of the mall. Yeah. Uh, no, I think... Well, may, I mean, maybe at night. On, yeah, on nights like yeah. this, yeah. when yeah. the mood is full. Right. <laughs> you, you stare up at the vessel and she's wandering. <laughs> she appears, the or does yeah. she? And that was another kind of pop culture reference, but also the kind of New York story that people who live here tell each other all, all the, time. the time. I saw so-and-so doing this weird thing or at this weird place. And I love the way that Carrie is like, that's how you communicate with another New Yorker is you make that sort of reference joke, you know, mm-hmm. and I loved that whole plot line. I thought it was credible and funny. And I did, too. I will say the relationship between like the two business partners, I get what they're doing. Like you got your work husband and your work wife and you're too committed to like, you know, somebody in that way to be open. And it was played to great comedic effect. I thought it was a little like unbelievable. And when he was like, somebody's got to physically come pick up the deck. I was like, you guys work in tech. Like when you just emailed it, like there's maybe a little contrived, it's a little contrived, but it did get the major point across. And the visual of Carrie kind of grimacing on the bed next to the FaceTime, the Uh, FaceTiming phone. Like, yes, it's funny. And slinking off, you know, that was great. And when she leaves and it worked and I won't miss him. And I like the way that Earlier in the episode, Carrie is sort of set up to be ready for that kind of dating because she goes on the girls' night out to the fancy hotel bar and Naya pairs off and Seema pairs off and then Carrie says a little thing, well, perfect time for the Wordle. You know, I like that. It also rings true that Carrie is the one person who still loves Wordle. Yeah. <laughs> still well, doing Wordle every day. Excuse you, I do it <laughs> every day. But I'm a midnight Wordle. I don't do it in the morning. I do you it do at it. night. That's mm. right. I also loved that too because Real Housewives of New York has taught me 
that women of a certain age, you do go to one hotel bar, you go to the Regency, you go to like some fancy bar, right. and that's where your whole social life lives. That's where you meet Harry Dubin and the Toms, and you that's that's <laughs> where it all happened. So the fact that, you know, Seema was like, no, we're going to go to this like classy hotel bar establishment and go fishing, I was like, this does feel right. Yeah, I, I feel like this season especially, like the little details feel like true. They feel like people actually like, of course— Rock and Charlotte would figure out that the way to convince Harry to let Rock do the photo shoot would be to tell him that they're going to plant trees in Israel with the money that they earn. Like, that is absolutely what a 14-year-old teenager would do. And I feel like that geographic specificity, like, I remember last season, there were multiple episodes, including in the premiere episode, where, like, they go to brunch and then they're just wandering 6th Avenue in Midtown. And you're like, no one's doing that on a Saturday. Like, (laughs) what what are you talking about? But, yeah, this season they've honed that. You know, now Carrie has had this sort of dating experience. She's getting back on the bike. I like that final final shot. Very cute. Very very cute and just like that. Do we think now we're five episodes into an 11 episode season? Is this what they're doing to lay the groundwork for Aiden? I mean, I guess that, yeah, the show is setting up. I don't know from from what is out there in the media. It seems like Aiden is going to play a large role in the show. And I guess Mm -hmm. that they don't want to just kind of drop him in without establishing that Carrie is in a place where she is ready for a relationship. I believe the phrase is single and ready to mingle. <laughs> this is the episode where she was like, I'm good to mingle. Yeah. Exactly. I don't, she doesn't end up quite getting all the way to mingle, but... No, she's down the block from mingle. But, yes. Yeah, but, Big didn't come up not a single time, really. It was only in like the vaguest of ways. And she was like, yeah, it's time for me to get back on the horse. I think I wouldn't be surprised if we get one more sort of like one episode paramore before we get into before we get into like the Aiden of it all just because I mean we really had what was his name what was the podcast guy's name was it Franklin 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 with a Y let's not forget about Franklin with a Y Franklin who likes to watch cooking shows yes so (laughs) that that Cracker Jack character (laughs) but Franklin we've had tech guy has she had someone else this season I could see them doing like a solid three and then into Oh, then yeah, maybe next week's the week. Maybe there's one more. Maybe it's Aiden next week. If there was a next season, I would love it if they just did a new guy every week. That would be nice. You know, like (laughs) uh, at least for someone on each episode, you know, because I. Oh, she was getting uh, she was getting the texts from Candace Bergen's boyfriend. Yes. If he counts. Marlon. Sure. Marlon. (laughs) Marlon counts. Let's not let's not discount Marlon. But yeah, I feel like you're, you're right, Chris, to point out that his ghost did not loom over this episode in any way. I mean, obviously, the the sort of unspoken carry ready to get back on the bicycle mm-hmm. or not. That is what that is about. But I think the season is really picking up momentum, finally bringing us out of the kind of depressing place that the first season put us. Even mm-hmm. for Miranda, who, yes, her life is a shambles and maybe things with Che are not working out now that they're back in New York and that the L.A. spell has broken. And then we'll only have but, six characters to follow. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Might be a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. Do we think... I mean, it was clearly sort of cliffhangery in terms of where Miranda and Che landed at the end of the episode. But does it feel like it's sort of curtains for them? Or do we think they're going to work this out, if you will? Because Che being like, I don't want to see you tomorrow. I don't want to see you for a few days felt like a pretty big blow. Yeah, they had this sampling of what it would be like to be domestic together, and it really did not work for either of them. And that's maybe it's just too soon in the relationship. That's often the case, I think. But maybe it speaks to something deeper, which is like Miranda isn't a 32-year-old, 35-year-old who can more willingly just like adapt to fit Yeah, there's a point, a there's a point at which you are the way you are. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like that's kind of also the message of this, of like dating in middle age is like, you know, we know ourselves at this stage in life. Or, like, these characters know themselves at this stage. And, you know, Carrie doesn't want to do backbends to try to figure out a way to be with an unavailable man. She just scooches on out of there, which, like, good for her. Yeah, she's not not rude about it. And the guy doesn't even seem that upset. He's, like, because he's too distracted. But, like, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing of Carrie's failure, if you want to call it that, with Tech Guy, is not some referendum on her or anything. It's just like, oh, okay, I'm back in that pool of just meeting random people and our styles don't agree. But when you're a little bit older and you don't feel that same sort of desperate need to couple off, it would be like, it'd be nice to have someone. I don't need someone. You don't have to put up with as much. Mm -hmm. And And, and, and Seema's also representing that. We haven't talked about her as much, um, but her storyline also felt very classic Sex and the City. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the 
when that guy, when Nettlefield, shall we say, <laughs> pull out, pulled out the penis pump, I did laugh. And I loved that it ended up being like a full double standard, you yeah. know, like sort of a classic clean, like he was in the wrong, Seema's justified. And she gets a fun little button at the end by like turning it on again. And yeah. then making the sounds like, versus the flap. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, was yeah. fun. Like we're getting, you know. We have a Foley artist in the studio <laughs> with us today. <laughs> Sorry, I got minor it's like we're a prairie home companion. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I, yeah, I really appreciated the handling of it and sort of giving that grace and, you know, not sort of making that guy a laughing stock for having a penis pump. And then the actual thing is like, it's not that he has a penis pump, it's that he's like, he's selfish. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that, yeah. it's that he has a double standard. He yeah. has a double standard. And I think, again, the middle age thing, it's like someone of Seema's age, whatever, it's like, that can be a complication for people, you know, ED or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and her not being like, because, you know, on the original show, that would send Charlotte or Samantha or, or maybe all of them heading for the hills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it would be like played as a real, something is wrong with him. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, that yeah. was Trey's entire storyline uh, for like two seasons. Right, right, exactly. But this, you know, now that they're 20 years older or whatever, it's like, oh, no, that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. I don't think we're going to have a problem tonight. But <laughs> but then the but kind of like Carrie's thing, it's like, no, it's not the initial thing that's actually the wrong thing. It's when you actually go one layer, layer deeper. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, good writing. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, we dive into Carrie Bradshaw's closet with the show's costume designers. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Whether the women of And Just Like That are dressing up or dressing down, they are making an impression. And who better to talk to about this than the people responsible for stalking Carrie Bradshaw's closet? Molly Rogers and Danny Santiago are And Just Like That's costume designers. So the conversation starts with Molly um, as uh, her co-designer Danny was having some connectivity issues and then because he's in Miami, there was a thunderstorm and he cuts out. So you hear a little bit from Danny here, but mostly from Molly. Well, Molly Rogers, co-costume designer for And Just Like That, uh, thank you for coming on Still Watching. Thank you for having me. I'm sure these are going to be tough questions. <laughs> Very I'm hard. How would you solve the crisis in Ukraine? No, uh, <laughs> um, so, Molly, uh, fashion is such a big component of the Sex and the City universe. Uh, I would imagine that approaching a, a revival like and just like that can could be a little daunting so I, i'm curious how you approached uh working on the show well lucky for me i had worked on the original show from the very inception with patricia field and that was six seasons and then we went on to do the two movies so i feel like that gave me the foundation to pick up fairly confidently where the last movie left off because I knew the actors really well. I knew the writer director. It just felt actually the first time I moved into the office on season one, I felt like I was going back to summer camp. It had that feeling like I know this territory and I love this territory. and It's going to be fun. Wow. This is great. Hi, Danny. I'm so glad that you're here. Wait, this is so great. Hey there. Hi, Danny. Hey there, how are you? In terms of your work together between you both, Molly and Danny, how do you land on a specific vibe or outfit for, you know, the women? Do you yeah, both do, do the same of, thing? Yeah, do you handle different characters or uh, or different sorts of scenes? Yeah, what, can you talk a little about your collaboration? 
I mean, we work together with all the characters in the same way. Um, like with Nicole, you know, with LTW's character, that was something that Miley and I, once we found out everything from MPK, as far as the information he had to give to us, you know, we really started to put our ideas together and make mood boards and sort of conceptualize what we thought that this character was going to be. And we, you know, we would toss ideas back and forth and try to come up with something that we could present to MPK to sort of give him sort of a direction on where we were going with it. And from there, we just started building her look, which would we do with all the characters, other than the three girls who were already very established with the look that Molly and Pat had sort of already, you know, given that DNA to those girls from the original show. It was what were we, how were we going to come up with these new girls and these new characters coming up that we could give them a very distinctive look to what their style was going to be. What was your reaction uh, when you heard that season two was going to open with the Met Ball? That feels like that's the like the greatest <laughs> challenge that a costume designer can hear, probably. <laughs> I mean, we were excited for the challenge. We really wanted to, you know, do something really amazing. And it was something that MPK wanted to do because um, he had had that idea for a while and he wanted to use that to open that the new season with that. And um, we were really, really excited. At one point, we thought we were going to be doing the whole Met Gala with background people, and it was going to be like a red carpet and the whole thing. And then we found out that it wasn't going to be. So we were excited for it. I mean, we really wanted to take the challenge on. Obviously, the big button of that episode, the sort of climax of it, I guess, is that Carrie gets the old wedding dress out of the box and, you know, repurposes it for uh, something true to her life at the moment. Was that the original garment from the first film or did you have to recreate it? No, we called um, London and emailed London and called London and emailed London (laughs) and started biting our fingernails because we weren't hearing from anyone. And I think it was they were on, you know, Europe shuts down in August. (laughs) They weren't ignoring us, but we were getting more and more nervous. And then they came back from vacation and they said, we need to look at this gown you know, it's really been through it because when we used it years ago, we, you know, she ran up and down the street in it. So they had to take a little time and do some repairs on it. It's a beautiful mix of colors when you see it in person, or I'm sure it reflects that on screen. So when it came, it looked very pristine. She still fit in it. And then we began worrying about the bluebird because that bird is what is it, Danny, a hundred years old? It's over a hundred years wow. old. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's so fragile. And I had made a stunt double bluebird that you could use in maybe wide shots or something, but nobody wanted to, it's just not the same color as that beautiful ant. And it's so fragile, that bird. And to, you know, pin it into her hair, you're like, is it going to live? Is it going to make it? It's such a wonderful accessory because it's just such a beautiful blue. I love it. We were hoping to put it somewhere else on her. Danny and I had researched a lot of places that we could attach that bird. But in the end, everybody wanted to decided collaboratively that it should stay in the same place as the jilted wedding scene and so yeah the the big uh met gala uh sequence did not materialize in that episode but you did get a chance to dress tons and tons of people for uh this week's episode which is halloween episode um so yeah tell us a little bit about approaching that it's a a, a slightly different assignment but still a large scale one which seems fun for a costume designer i think everybody was possibly scripted right Danny I mean yeah we got a list that we went through except for SJ we didn't know what her character was going to be I think originally there was um it was Holly Go Lightly I think was actually something that was mentioned to us and we thought that's sort of has already been done and we wanted to do something different that still felt something of New York-ish type of a woman and you know, we came up with the idea to do this Helen Gurley Brown look on her, um, which also kind of made a lot of sense because it's something that Carrie didn't necessarily go and shop for a costume. 
It's something that she could have pieced together from things that she had in her closet and kind of come up with this costume. So um, it kind of all fell into place. And then, you know, of course, there's the funny lines of, you know, nobody really realized that Carrie is actually in costume. And she makes the line about, well, I have bows in my hair. You know what I mean? So I think that was sort of funny. And you could see that, you know, Carrie saw this, got inspired, thought about Helen Gurley Brown and put all her pieces together with her magazine clutch and put that very quickly together and came up with this costume and added the two bows in her hair. I like the reference that uh, Charlotte says, well, I've seen you wear that dress before. Like, that's not a costume. Right. Um, we haven't right. seen that dress on the show ourselves, though, right? This is, this was, this is a new look for us TV viewers. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it what is. What is the yes. rule about that? I mean, obviously, like, people in real life wear certain items more than once. Um, do you ever, are you ever allowed, or do you ever, would you ever want to revisit anything um, for, for a later episode? Yeah, yeah. We do with archives from um, Sarah Jessica's lovely archive collection, which has pieces from past episodes and movies. We like to treat them very special because we know the fans love to see, oh, she's wearing the Roger belt again. (laughs) The fans know these accessories and they know what episode they were from. It's amazing. I think we don't want to overuse them and we want to put them in special places. But as far as repeating an outfit, I remember Pat in the old days saying to someone, well, they don't repeat scripts. So why should I have someone rewear clothing? <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> we, I've always wanted to, to do a scene where Carrie gets dressed in her apartment and then moves to the street scene in a different outfit. I've always wanted to do something where she changes her mind and puts on something else. That feels very We've Carrie. never done that. Yeah, that would feel true to character. Very true to Carrie. Over here, we've been loving, I and mean, we've been talking about sort of high fashion, but even sort of like Carrie's in a little bit more of like a streetwear vibe. She's wearing some jumpsuits. She's have, she has a great sweater collection, the Monopoly sweater, the New York Times sweater. Do you approach, you know, more of the streetwear, more casual stuff in the same way? Or how do you pull these different looks? Um, I think that's also something that Carrie has always worn. You know, she'll do a great sweatshirt that's old and worn, vintage that she would have found at a flea market or a vintage sale or something like that. And, you know, all these fun different types of sweaters that we've, that's where we've actually found them, you know, all these beautiful sweatshirts. And they're so nice and comfortable. And she customizes them herself. She cuts the necks out of them. You know, sometimes we'll rewash it and break it down a little bit and give it a little bit more, just cozy, make it more cozy and stuff like that. But I think that's something that's always been in Carrie's wardrobe. And sometimes she'll mix that and she'll wear a pair of high heels with it. She'll wear it out. Last year, she had a striped uh, sweatshirt that she wore out with her tutu to go to the bodega last <laughs> in last season that she wore. So... That's always something I think that she's had in her wardrobe from the series. I think that's, that's, you know, in keeping with her style and her DNA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think Carrie would ever put on a flight jack flight suit, right. Or a jumpsuit and wear a sneaker with it. It's just not within her to do that. She's always wants to elevate it or pitch a high fashion piece with a low piece, like a sweatshirt. I mean, I love uniform dressing and I love when she's hanging out in her apartment in a sweatshirt, something that, you know, who doesn't want a New York Times sweatshirt (laughs) or a Vanity Fair sweatshirt? (laughs) And then she'll have a high heel on. I think that is classic Carrie. Uh I would love to know. I mean, obviously, fashion there are a lot of opinions, right? And I'm sure I don't know if you're (laughs) online or and whatnot. And, you know, you take some you you both take really big swings with these outfits. How much do you care about like the reaction or the public's reaction to a specific outfit or a dress or a look, or do you completely like tone that out? It's impossible to completely tone out judgments. They're swift and they're brutal. You know, when an actress steps out of her trailer, seconds later, it's online and the comments are for and against. I always joke with Sarah Jessica. It's like coming out into the Roman Colosseum. <laughs> it's going to be a th- thumbs up or a thumbs down. You're going to get 
eaten by the tigers. You know, it, there's only two ways it's going to go. Mm. But I think that in the fitting room, I try very hard to create an atmosphere of creativity. Everybody, even shoppers, anyone who's in the fitting room when someone's being fit has a right to bring up a belt choice when we're trying to belt something. It should be a place where you don't feel judged and you're doing your very best collaboratively with the actor to come up with the best possible outfit, something that you like, not Mm. thinking about anyone else. It should always be the actor feels good, we feel good, and we ring this hotel bell and say, this outfit's complete, let's move on to the next one. Mm. Because these judgments, I have to say, Chris, these judgments are I wonder oftentimes, and I will apply this to myself too, can people really enjoy anything anymore? <laughs> That's an amazing question. Like, can can you sit? I mean, I work on it. So, of course, I'm sitting there watching it being, you know, hard on myself. Like, oh, that should have been unbuttoned a little lower or, you know, real picky, nitty things, technical. Mm. But can you sit and watch the bear and not, you know, just tear it apart? It just seems. I don't know that people can do that anymore. Do you know what Culture, I mean? Yeah, the internet these days and social media, <laughs> it definitely doesn't, uh, <laughs> definitely provokes. It's like, a- what do you like? <laughs> you know, every once in a while, I'll get into an argument on the Instagram with someone who I just find to have written such a nasty comment that I just want to ask them, why are you miserable? <laughs> this is, I'm not making a documentary. I'm making a show about women in New York that are having good sex, bad sex, love their closets. You know, it's like, calm down and lighten up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a fantasy element to the show, and that's part of what has always drawn people like us to it. Well, if you ever want to come dress three Brooklyn podcasters, uh, we would, well, I would, we would l- welcome it. I would love to wear a tutu. <laughs> I Any would love to go have. shopping with all three of you in Brooklyn. That would be, I bet you know places I don't. Uh, okay, well, we'll, okay, we'll see you at the Target at Atlanta <laughs> yeah, Avenue. We'll, we'll put that in Marshalls. <laughs> David Zaslav's going to pick up that uh, that bill, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, Molly, and uh, we, I think we lost Danny, but uh, thank you both and uh, for and uh, for talking with us and also for the incredible work. It's yeah. One of the many delights of the show is uh, to see all these beautiful clothes and and, um, you're responsible for it. So thanks again. I hope you're enjoying season two and thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Still Watching will be back in just a moment. And when we return, we'll talk about our favorite costumes. And if you are watching this video... Either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Um, before we go, let's, uh, go back to the Halloween party, um, and talk briefly about the costumes that we saw. What were everybody's favorites? I will say the gladiator costume that the guy that Anthony had on did stand out in my mind. (laughs) For what reason, Chris? You know, for the lack of costume. Yeah, Yeah, it was very daring. Um, And I thought that was a fun Anthony uh, moment, just as hitting on this guy. And the guy is like, this is my wife. Do we think that Anthony hooked up with that guy? That's, well, you never know. In the city. (laughs) You have to go to the fanfic, I think, for that one. I I think I agree with you, Chris. Abs are a costume. They can be, yeah. Um, (laughs) My favorite. It was a brief glimpse in the background, um, but there was an extra who had on a full Josephine Baker thing with a banana skirt. 
I thought was great. I was like, she really, (laughs) really brought it for this party. Wow. Like Charlotte will be so happy to see her. (laughs) I love in movies and TV where it's like rich people costume party kind of thing because like everything is like specially made, you know. It's oh, yeah. Like, it's not something that you, like, buy, put yeah. together at American Apparel yourself. You're not going to Spirit Halloween. Yeah, there's no, no party uh, city yeah. involved. It's like the the Christmas pageant in Love Actually, where, like, all the kids have these, like, elaborate, like, animal costumes. They're all, like, like rented. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be more basic uh, and say that I really liked Lisa Todd Wexley as Bride of Frankenstein. I thought that was, it was not only an actual Halloween costume, it was very chic. Oh, yeah. No, that was fantastic. I mean, also just the volume of hair. Just well, that's the, that's yeah. the battle as, I think, a rich and beautiful woman is I have to do something for Halloween that will still allow me to look beautiful right. and poised. Um, I mean, unless you're Heidi Klum and you're and becoming you like the worm. <laughs> the, the but only, monster or whatever. only Heidi Klum can get away with that because everyone just whispers, she was born in Germany. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Lisa definitely found uh, the right, uh, was walking the right line. I yeah, mentioned Maria. already Elizabeth and Philip Jennings um, as a big fan of the Americans. That yeah. tickled me. Charlotte was also like, well, I want to look pretty. It's my well, exactly. Part. Yeah, it's my myself. There are many wigs on that show that would have made her look terrible, but instead, <laughs> and, she and, and Harry was wearing one of them. <laughs> yeah. So that does it for this episode of Still Watching. Uh, please send us any questions, concerns, fashion raves, or, or rants. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> at stillwatchingpod at gmail for the time being, you can find me at Twitter at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S, which incidentally is also my Instagram in case I decide to go threading, which I don't think I will. Well, okay. And I was about to say, you can find me on Twitter and at threads at your own risk at Christress, C-H-R-I-S-T-R-E-S-S. Oh, are you telling me I have to actually download threads? I, I'm going to give it a week and see what happens. I don't want to have to learn a new thing. <laughs> I know, but it's really I, I, the same that's thing. That's my feeling. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be very, like, Luddite about this. So but. you know what? You can still find me on Twitter at Hillabuster with two R's. The end. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Caroga. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next Thursday for episode six. Looking forward to seeing you then. Well, I need a man. And my free one-month subscription in chocolate singles only got me cyberstalked by a white guy named Jeff. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.